You unlock this podcast with the key of curiosity. Beyond it is another realm, a realm of marketing wisdom, a realm of creative vision, a realm of strategic minds. You're stepping into a world of both practicality and innovation of concepts and campaigns. You've just tuned in to CMO Convo. The impact of AI on marketing is one of the biggest topics in marketing right now. But what expectations do CEOs have for its impact and how does this align with their CMOs? We decided the best way to answer this question was to get a CEO and a CMO in a room together, and we've done just that. Brian Gurnett and Erica McCoy, respective CEO and CMO of Resonate, join us to break down how they're working together to utilize AI effectively and how to align their perspectives on its use. You've probably seen the news about how short the average tenure is for CMOs. Make sure you don't just survive, but thrive with the Alliance's C-Suite Masterclass. Whether you're looking to climb the ladder or currently an experienced marketing leader, you'll find everything you need to navigate the modern C-Suite. Across four months, you'll learn from experienced executives from leading brands like Trustpilot, Slack, Samsung, and more on how to drive results, inspire teams, and secure your place at the table. Don't be another statistic about the tenure of CMOs. Instead, join the ranks of the world's greatest business leaders. Check the link in the show notes for more information. Hi, Erica. Welcome back to CMO Convo. And you brought a friend with you today. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? Good, Will. How I are you? Did. Hi, Will. Great to be here. Yes, I did have my, a very good friend, uh, our CEO, Brian Kerner, is here. So, Erica, you're the CMO of Resonate. You've been on the show before, so we don't need to dive too much into your background. Um, people can check out that episode. It's a great episode on treating B2B customers as people. Uh, but Brian, maybe you could tell us a bit about your background and why you wanted to talk about the topic that we're going to be talking about today, if you want to introduce it to the the audience. Sure, absolutely. So, um, so, so my background is, is, is really been startups and technology-based startups focusing on big data, kind of internet infrastructure, and what I'd say neural networks before we talked about is AI. Um, and Resonate, I was one of the co-founders of Resonate. And when we co- when we founded Resonate, we wanted to to drive and understand why consumers make decisions, why they buy, why they prefer brands, why do they stay loyal, um, why, why how can customers retain those those consumers by connecting with them at a, a level that's beyond kind of just superficial. And so, over the last boy fifteen years, uh, we've built Resonate into a really a significant player in the data space of understanding consumers leveraging technology and AI and kind of a different approach than a lot of companies have historically taken. Excellent. Excellent. So before we do dive into sort of like these perspectives around AI that we're going to be discussing, I just want to make it clear to the audience, you guys are fully on board the AI train, aren't you? You are big supporters, you're big believers in the power of it. Uh, As I've said to to the team, to the company, to our investors, we're all in on AI. So yes, that would be big believers. Definitely. Okay. Awesome. Um, but we're going to explore some of the other sort of devil's advocate side of things, some of the other perspectives that you guys might have been hearing about. So we'll try and take this from a fairly objective standpoint, um, shall we? But let's sort of dive into um, one of the, the one of the things that came up in maybe our um, our intro call when we were coming up with the theme for the episode, Brian. And that was a phrase that you used as AI being introduced to business is the white collar industrial revolution. That's a that's a big, the big idea, a big concept. The industrial revolution is one of the most important things that ever happened in the history of mankind. So what do you mean by a white collar industrial revolution? How does it relate to AI? Well, well there's a number of things. I, I think it, AI will prove out to be bigger than the industrial revolution. 
that it'll wow. be the most incredible kind of shift in in how we think, how we work, what what's possible. Um, and my comment in particular about when it impacts white collar work is that um, white collar work has been primarily driven by knowledge and kind of specific understanding or specific knowledge. Um, so with AI, the human capability just can't keep up with the volume of information that's available today. So today, ChatGPT already scores in the top 10% of passing the bar exam to become a lawyer. Um, that, that's without any training about being a lawyer. Um, if you think about a radiologist and the number of scans and the work that they do to kind of identify a problem, you know, a cancer or something else like that, there's only so much limited knowledge that they can get access to. But if you get access to every scan and the result of every scan and you use AI, you're going to be in a position where you're going to be you're going to just be better. And so that's a broad perspective on on marketing in particular. Um, we're already using AI across a number of things that we do to to become more efficient and more effective and giving us more ideas around things that we might whether we say it differently, how we position differently, understand our, our competitors differently. Um, there's just a, a vast volume of knowledge and data that a human just can't can't possibly keep up with. And that, that's just one slice of what I think AI is really going to impact. But that's really the white collar aspect, the knowledge worker aspect. Um, Definitely. Yeah. And, and we're just at the start of it. Like there is so much more potential out there. Um, Erica, let's let's drill a bit more into sort of like the impacts that you're seeing on on marketing. Like, are there any specific like positive impacts that you've seen recently, or are there things that you're looking forward to being able to do with AI that's maybe not possible right now? Like, what what are the big impacts on on marketing or or on your role as a CMO to be more specific? Yeah, I think there are, are you know there AI has already been at work in a number of areas, and I think sometimes with all of the talk. Um, lately, you know, people forget that AI has actually been used in marketing for quite some time. If you think even about, you know, companies like Netflix, Starbucks, right? Like we were experiencing and using AI from a marketing, a customer experience perspective for quite some time already. So I think it's part of it's already part of what we've experienced. And now with generative AI, we're we're starting to be able to use it in more of the sort of behind the scenes applications. So, you know, Brian re referenced copy, copywriting. I think copywriting is a great potential. Um, it definitely can spark some interesting ideas, you know, maybe pushes you out of like a comfort zone where you've been communicating. I don't think it replaces, you know, human law, applying human logic to some of the things that are that are done. But I'm more excited about just Matt, the big data processing. Um, as a CMO, you have a lot of data to analyze in terms of performance. There's a lot of data that's siloed in different parts of the organization. So a lot of CMOs, you know, have separate organizations for their website, for their mobile app, for, you know, customer experience, for, you have all this data really separated across so many different organizations. And it's a struggle to be able to process it and make sense of it. And we, you know, this is going to give us a big leap forward in being able to do that. So I think that's the biggest potential for what's available. I think we're right now focused on some of the very, the easiest applications, which is like, okay, summarize this for me or rewrite this for me. But the data that, that a CMO is trying to wield and really understand and draw conclusions from is, is still sort of untapped. So I think that's a really big thing to be excited about. So do you, do you think this... 
access, well, not just access to more data, but making turning this data into something that's more usable using AI. Do you think that's going to allow you to, well, allow CMOs as a whole to be more aligned with like business goals, be able to work better with stakeholders within the business, that kind of thing? Like, are we finally going to see sales and marketing alignment, that big holy grail that we all talk about all the time, but seems to be quite a difficult goal to reach? <laughs> well, here at Resonate, we already have sales and marketing like nirvana. Like we've, we've, you know, and, and then it is largely because we have a shared goal. You know, we're as a CMO, especially in B2B CMO and a high growth company like Resonate is, we are acutely focused on driving revenue. And that does hone the focus the conversation. You know, what are we doing to contribute to revenue? And what do we need to understand from a data perspective to make sure that we are contributing to revenue growth? Um, so I think that does, you know, that sometimes is more exclusive in B2B and, and more exclusive in high growth companies where you have to be focused on those metrics. But I think the, the potential for you know large B2C companies that are still trying to really get a grasp of all of the different data that they have and what does that mean in terms of the relationship that they're building with a customer and customer lifetime value, that's a really, really big you know, opportunity. Because right now, CMOs of large B2C companies are still struggling to have that type of visibility to really calculate how all the interactions that a customer is having with them across multiple types of channels is contributing to an overall performance number. And I think that's really the big untapped area. If you talk to B2C CMOs, that's still what they're struggling with. How do I understand customers? How do I understand my customer across all these different dimensions? When they're in a brick and mortar, when they're interacting with me in e-commerce, when they're interacting with me from a chat perspective and customer care, like how does that paint a picture of this customer and how do I look to what next offer I make, what next um, next best experience for them that's going to drive sales and drive customer lifetime value. That's a vast, those are vast sums of siloed data that are not brought together yet. And I think that for B2C is a really, really big potential. Like those are the exciting things I think about when I think about AI, I think definitely you know, better interaction from a customer experience perspective, better being able to engage, you know, in a, in a chat. Those are the short-term things that are happening better, maybe, you know, better summary, uh, better content, um, potential like that is on the, on the smaller scale. Like the big scale things to me is just being able to like really get access to this type of data. And of course, there's a lot of good positive experiences that are coming. We, you know, you talked to Brian mentioned being able to diagnose things faster, like that's going to benefit humanity, right? Like that's that's really exciting benefit to humanity, but it'll have better read on lung cancer, like one of the most, you know, kill, the biggest killers of, can, of, of humans across the globe, right? That's a super exciting just for humanity benefit that's going to come. But marketers, I think, have a big potential just from being able to better understand data and, and, and be able to, again, still interpret it. You still have to interpret it, but just getting it served you in a way that you can analyze and you know understand and make recommendations is going to be really powerful. You know, one, one thing I just add on to that from a, a CMO perspective, in in particular B two C, but but across the board, um, you know, I, I've been in the technology field for a long time. So you know, 12, 14 years ago, everybody's about big data, big data, and then became little data but valuable data, and you know, a lot of that was about pulling out the nuance and the value of the big data, not that big data wasn't valuable, but it wasn't 
possible. It wasn't, you couldn't gain the insight because it was too difficult. And I think that's, that's one of the major things that would change. And one of the things that we see, for instance, with our, you know, as we look at our data combined with our customers' data, and as Erica mentioned, they've got data sources from all these different places that aren't synced together. And, and, and we can help sync all that data together. But, but I think even more importantly, leveraging AI you can extract the the important nuances of what's really different and valuable and important to know because you can process that much volume of data and use algorithms to really figure out okay what does it really mean and interestingly enough a lot of times it goes against human intuition and i think you know creativity has been about a combination of intuition and knowledge and understanding but it's not always right and you know we find that sometimes we we discover segments of customers that um, seem almost nonsensical. Uh, and and I'll, I'll use an extreme, which isn't really a customer case, but moms that care about safety when buying a car, but like to skydive. And, and, and th those are nonsensical, like no human being would ever put those things together. But, but there are things like that that come out in, in kind of the collection of of large data sets and leveraging AI to sync and understand kind of uniqueness about segments or individuals. And they'll be able to yeah. make comparisons in a much more intuitive way as well. Like if you use quite like a quite simple metrics to create a segment or create a, a an average user or persona or something, you run into something called the jaggedness principle. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, or you've heard of this, um, but I'll explain it for the audience as well. Like, it's basically when you create an average because of so many different outliers that go into creating that average, the person you create or the thing you create with that average isn't present in any of the things that you've used to create the average. So a good example of this in Australia, they did, um, they did a survey to find the average Australian woman and they came up with all these things about her. And when they looked at all the details about Australian women, there wasn't a single person in the country who matched that persona that they created as the average Australian woman, because it was based on quite simple things that humans are able to understand and able to compare. Whereas AI will be able to go a lot deeper into what it is actually connects people, what comparisons can be made. It will be able to compare people's backgrounds, people's sort of much more detailed ways than humans are able to process when it's creating these kinds of personas and segments. Yeah, you know? I think there's, you know, we use AI powered segmentation in our state of the consumer study. And I, I love to talk about that with other marketers because conventional wisdom says you start with demographics, right? We were like, okay, well, let's start. Well, how do we start to classify people? Let's put them, we have to classify them by some type of demographic. It's just the, always the starting point, right? It's it's conventionally where any marketer is going to start when they're building a segment or a persona. And when we do an analysis and we segment, you know, the consumer base for this report, we we're looking for other things that are in common, right? We have the ability to look across. We don't have to start with that starting point. And so when we did this modeling, we found we we used how people have felt about the economy and about their health as a result of everything that's happened over the last three years. And so when you start at a different starting point, you find a whole different, you reveal all different things. And so we're able to look at, you know, this state of the consumer that had entered what was a persistent, moderate state of anxiety. And what did that look like? And it wasn't just older people who may, you might assume, well, it must be baby boomers because they have health concerns and they're concerned because they're retiring. No, it wasn't. You know what I mean? So if you had started at that point and you had said, let's look at 
you know, baby boomers, because they're going to obviously be pulled, you know, to fit into this category. It wasn't. There were, there was a, there were, there were young people with families, right? There's different ethnic groups that were represented there. So we were able to paint this holistic view of consumer segments that could be very relevant to how you might approach a consumer, what type of offers you would make to them, right? But we didn't start with a conventional place. And we, we could do that because we had this technology infrastructure, because we had this AI infrastructure, we could find things that were actually different commonalities and then draw out nuances that can make a difference in how a company is going to market to somebody. And, and you know, and, and it gives them, empowers them to grow. So I think that's a really practical example of how you can reveal new, discover, discover new audiences when you are um, have this technology at your fingertips. Definitely, definitely. I think it goes back to what Brian was saying about you used um, intuition as the, the term for it. But I think what AI really allows us to do is to get rid of assumptions, which is something you should never do. Because when you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. That's yeah, my favorite little phrase there. But yeah, they, you can't make assumptions when it comes to the data or the, the findings that AI provides because it is objective right there. It is based on data. Like It's not you looking for connections and then your brain creating the connections it's ai actually seeing what the connections are yeah and in a way it's a perfect application for humans because i think we've tried to distill humans down to like very basic you know um attributes but the reality is they're very complex i mean one thing that we look at is we look at voters and how voters behave and i think you know in the united states in particular right we're like oh you're republican you're democrat it's completely you know, your polar opposites, like, but what you find, if you actually look at the humans that are, that are voting, like they have, there's, there's actually quite a few commonalities across very specific things that they care about. And by understanding what you have in common with people, you are able to make an appeal to those people. Right. And so it's just, it's, it's too easy to say, well, everyone is just black or white. Everybody is, you know, Republican or Democrat. Everyone is, you're older, you're young, you're, you're this, and, and it's just naturally to fall that way. But Humans are very, very complex. So to understand how you feel about certain things, what are your values? Like, what do, what, where do you stand on certain issues? Like, it's much more complicated than just, you know, Republican or Democrat, right? And so I think it's, a, it's actually, AI is a, is a very practical application for understanding humans because humans are inherently complex and have many, many factors that go into their decision-making, not just one right, or two or three. I think one thing just to add on to that is that, um, you know, we founded the company, we, we firmly believe that we started with people's values and we started with the people, what makes us really unique as human beings, not demographics. And, and we really believed that the way people have used consumers, marketers, just in general, was very limiting. And, and part of that was based on the the information that was available about consumers. And part of it was about the reality of managing multiple segments and multiple personas and multiple, you know, audiences. And um, so, so you have things like you start with basic demographics and then you get to like prism clusters, right. And you have a clustering solution. You have 72 different clusters or whatever the, right. But, but in reality, you know, you are forcing people into that kind of Australian conversation, right? You are, you are, there's no one that actually exists, but they're all kind of like this, right? And, and you, you make broad assumptions. And a lot of that had to do with the ability to understand people at a certain level, but also manage that complexity. You know, it, 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 it makes, it kind of reminds me of a conversation I had with a CMO at one of the, the top five banks in the United States about six, seven years ago. 
And in, in the conversation, the CMO was like, listen, I'm really proud of what we've done. We've got 26 segments and that's a massive increase than what we've ever been able to do. And one of the conversations I had with her was like, well, we can understand how those segments are changing and how those people are maybe shifting from one segment to another or creating a whole new segment. And there was literally a moment of like, oh my God, don't tell me that because I can't respond to that. And that was true. That's true, right? Like if I have to do creative for 150 segments or if I have to dynamically think about how it's changed, it, it, I think she mentioned it took like a year and a half to create these segments, right? So tell me it's different in 30 days would be like, what do I do with that? And I do think this is where AI is going to continue to really help kind of change that dynamic and that conversation as we get to more dynamic creative based on AI driven kind of uh, capability sets and and be able to, to not just respond, but practically engage with people based on how they're changing. And there's just no way you can do it without without machine learning and AI and, and neural networks. And, you know, we I think everyone's kind of gone to the, the conversation that AI is generative AI and LLM and chat GPT and BARD. And the reality is AI is much, much broader. But I think that's the the way people have finally understood, like the average person now, I shouldn't say the average person. I think majority of people have now interacted. They believe they've interacted with AI because they've made the translation from human language to zeros and ones in an AI conversation. So there's been an interpreter that gave a result that is understood. The reality is we've been using AI for over a decade, um, but but I think now people are more aware of it. And, and there's so much, again, I, I get excited because there's so much that's possible now, but the things that we see are coming are just gonna be revolutionary. I think it's because it's just generative AI as a tool that the public can use and have access to like, like a friend of mine used chat gpt to write his best man a best man speech for a wedding recently like he did rewrite it afterwards he didn't just like do it exactly <laughs> off what chat gpt provided but yeah there's people using it for everyday like use cases and stuff like it's not just being used for marketing it's being used for all kinds of different things like people are generating recipes off it and stuff like that like there's all kinds of crazy stuff out there yeah, i think like, that's what's yeah. kind of gone brian gone no, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. It, it, it's it's the first time I think people feel like they've interacted with AI. They've heard about AI, it's big and scary, but they haven't interacted or gotten something back. And like, listen, you know, he probably used 80% of the best man speech from ChatGPT and customized 20%, right? Which was- 80 which might be a lot, Brian. <laughs> Come on. Brian, I'm going to admit, I did a lot of the rewriting and I put, I put plenty of good jokes in there that, that, that AI couldn't have come up with. Like, I'm hilarious. ChatGPT, not so funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, would, I, I get that. Yes, I didn't think about the, the joke part of it. Yeah. Um, this is but, where Brian, you know, let's write, let's, let's look at the press release. Let's put our press release and cop it out of, out of chat GBT and, and there's, there's significant rewriting. In that. That's probably the difference between the CMO and the CEO right now. Who's really excited about, uh, about, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> Erica, let, let, let's dig into that. Cause it, it sounds to me like you two are quite well aligned on like how AI needs to be used, but at least when it comes to the marketing side of the business, because Erica, that is what you're in charge of, but let like how important has that working relationship been when it comes to like developing how, like integrating AI into the company, training people to use it appropriately, that kind of thing. Like, has it been like you guys working quite closely together on this or have you given Erica quite a bit of freedom on this, Brian? Uh, 
Well, we work closely together regardless. So, uh, you know, we've worked closely together on, on kind of how we leverage in particular LLM, but AI from a marketing perspective. But, but I, I gotta say that Erica, one, she's, she's a fantastic CMO and, and she has always been forward in kind of technology and, and, you know, leveraging kind of the, the latest capabilities in marketing. And so, um, that that's good because I'm always pushing on those conversations too, but, but that alignment's been strong really since the day we started working together, which is gosh, almost six years ago, I think. So, um, so it, it's more of, I think we're in, in tune and aligned with where we want to go. And, and listen, I think it also helps that the company is really some of the biggest foundation of the company is AI infrastructure. So, I mean, if if we're not embracing that, we're kind of not consistent with what we've built and who we are. And so Erica obviously is very, very engaged and aware in all of those things. Yeah, I don't I think it, it's exciting. I mean, first, it's exciting for us because we've been doing it and it's like something that you know, the good thing, I mean, you talk about people inter- creating recipes and, you know, <laughs> I've heard wedding vows. I think the, the best man's toast might be a little bit better, but like <laughs> in any event, right. People are interacting with it, which means they're starting to understand it. They don't, you know, I don't, I don't think people realize they have been interacting necessarily with AI. I think, you know, they're like everything that we do in the, in the MarTech and, and in the MarTech space is it's like trying to explain it to your mom, right? Like, what do you do? And I'm like, okay, she doesn't understand. But it, it, I love that it's giving people an opportunity to experience it. And by experiencing it, then there's understanding, which is really good. And I love that we can finally, you know, almost like un- talk about it much more transparently. And it's exciting for us, right? Because we have been using it and I'm really cutting edge way. And it's new to a lot of people, not new to us. But I think what's been most sort of interesting from a relationship perspective is Brian's really pushing all of the executive leadership team and all parts of the organization to apply AI to everything that they're doing, right? So yes, as a company, it happens to be what we have done, what our expertise is and what we do in understanding consumers, like leveraging AI to understand consumers. But now it's like, let's apply it to every function of what we're doing. So on my team, you know, my my operations team, we have the very real challenge of trying to analyze, you know, large sums of data of who from a demand perspective is engaging with us. And example is titles. Titles can be very different across multiple organizations. Not everybody has the same title. As a human trying to look through thousands of records of, you know, what titles are are, are most common or what keywords in those titles, we can now, you know, I'm pushing my ops director to go and leverage you know, AI to help draw the conclusions out of that. I'm pushing the content and the creative team to, you know, we, we did a CTV ad. And so it's like, okay, we want to change. We want a person walking on a beach, but we want a person walking on a beach and, um, you know, wearing a, a parka because we're making a statement about, you know, how your data is giving, leading you the wrong way sometimes. And so, well, we don't have a, you know, huge agency that's going to, we're not going to do a photo shoot. Like we don't have that kind of budget, but we can, you know, create, we can use AI. So I'm pushing the content and creative team, like let's use AI to create this image that 
we are not going to pay for a photo shoot to create, which would have been the traditional way of doing that. Like, but so there's lots of applications on the marketing side and, and it's literally becoming foundational into, into every one of my sub teams, but it's also happening on the finance team. And it's also, you know, accounting and, and HR, right? Everyone's trying, everyone is, is exposing themselves to it and exposing it to their organizations. And that's really the tone that Brian set for the organization. Like we will live and breathe it. Like we already, it's foundation to what we do, but now let's pull it into every part of our um, organization. And I think it's, it's great because it gives people practical experience with that and makes it more um, and makes us more efficient. Awesome. Awesome. So let's say, let's say uh, hypothetically there's CMOs or other people in the audience who are thinking they're not really aligned with their CEO on the use of AI. Like how would you two suggest reaching a consensus in that kind of situation? Like what kind of questions do they need to be thinking about? What kind of like processes need to be discussed? Like how do you actually go about reaching alignment when it comes to AI usage and marketing for CMOs? I was laughing because I'm like, just talk about revenue and everything will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> just can't, just talk, but I mean, I, that's my general advice to CMOs. Like, just change your conversation to be about revenue, and you're, you're you'll be already headed in the right direction. But I, I mean, I think for my perspective don't be scared. <laughs> I think that a lot of the technology that's been coming out, even, even over the last like 10 years, right? It's like one thing after another, like there's a very lot of change in the role of the CMO, um, especially in, in, I think on B2C, you know, this you know approach to being more data-driven, you know, having to be a technologist, quite frankly, having to be a data scientist, like these are just, there's been a lot of shift in, in the role of the CMO anyway, over the last decade or so. And so this is, this may feel like yet another, like, you know, pair, you know massive shift in what CMOs need to understand and, and have, um, you know, domain over. But I also think it's easy to get scared when you see headlines like 30,000, you know, jobs are going to be lost in ad agencies and, you know, oh my gosh, like people are going to, people are going to replace my team with, you know, chat GPT is going to replace my copywriters and my, my, my PR team or my analyst relations team. Like, you know, I think you can't be afraid of it. You have to think about how are you going to use this technology? How do you, you make yourself an expert in this technology and be able to understand how it can drive efficiencies for you so that you can speak and, you know, the terms that matter, which is what, how am I using this to, to create more efficiency and save costs? How am I using it to make my team more effective? How am I using this to drive revenue and growth? Like that's, you just have to embrace it. Right. I think, you know, it, it, that's the best approach to me for, I think for any CMO, but that's my thought. I don't know about Brian, what are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I'd say, you know, as you're, as you're talking, Eric, and one of the things that occurs to me is that, um, Listen, one of the things that's strange about being a CEO is that you are a generalist and your CMO is your expert. And candidly, I'm looking to Erica to lead how to leverage AI. I, I, I'm obviously committed that this is where we believe, I believe, and where we're, we're taking the company. But I think it's in line with Erica, what Erica just said, which is, I think the best place for a CMO to be is to understand where they can create value through AI and be bringing that forward and not reacting to a conversation, you know, and efficiency doesn't mean you're going to lose people. Efficiency means you're going to have better results and better performance and focus on as of what Erica is really talking about, which is the result. We can do more with the same. 
You know, yes, there's always going to be the conversation. Well, can we do more with less, right? Can we do more with less or can we do as good with less? Um, but at the end of the day, I think, you know, where Erica started, which is driving more revenue, you know, I, I have a perspective that rational companies companies only do three things you know, or make decisions around three things. One is increasing revenue, another is decreasing costs, and the last, last is risk. And, and they're not equal. You know, revenue is, in my mind, a 10x multiplier. Cost is a 3x and risk is a 1x because it's a grudge spend. It's 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 buying insurance. No one really wants it until they need it and they hate writing the check for it, but they'll write the check just in case, right? And so if you can talk about how AI is improving the, the performance of the business, the performance of the marketing and the results that it's going to drive, you're in a great place. And and I my perspective is Erica should be a better marketer than I am. You know, that's why she's here. And so, and she is by a, by a, a large margin, um, but br bring it forward, you know, bring forward what's possible. Don't, don't wait to be asked, um, be proactive because, and again, you're talking to a company that has really gone all in, as I said, on AI and, and our whole business is kind of predicated on AI. So. Definitely. Um, so Brian, I spend a lot of time talking to, to CMOs, but I actually don't spend much time talking to CEOs. So I'm going to maybe lean on your network and the the anecdotes that you're hearing around from other CEOs that you might be speaking to. Like, How much does that perspective that you've just talked about there, how much does that align with what you're hearing from CEOs? Is that the popular viewpoint from CEOs out there, or is there some certain dissenting voices that need to be discussed well, as part of this uh, this conversation i'm going to i'm going to avoid the doomsday conversation about ai um and talk more just about kind of what C, what i'm hearing from ceos and um I, i'm part of a, a a ceo organization that has i think now 800 ceos in it and it it's got a it's got a a um basically a, a communication you know capability that that we we communicate about topics and things like that through chat and other things um, and what I'd say is really interesting in that beginning of the year, so AI has kind of dominated a good portion of the conversation. And a lot of these CEOs, by the way, are companies that are, you know, from startups to kind of mid-sized companies. So not, not the American Express or the Chases of the world, right? But um, I would tell you in the beginning of the year, I would say 30 to 40% were like, yeah, we're really embracing AI, you know, and ChatGPT is changing the conversation, and, and and I'd say now that's about two thirds of the CEOs that are on the in the conversations. It, it's really kind of gained momentum, and there are some that are still resistant and saying, "Hey, listen, I just don't trust it. I'm not sure we're gonna get the right result. I'm not sure, you know, what's gonna happen with with legislation and those things." Um, but I'd say the majority at this point, and that wasn't necessarily the case just seven, six, seven, eight months ago are saying we, we're we're embracing it. Now, I'm not sure they're saying they're going all in, but they're definitely more so embracing um, AI and how they're leveraging across their organization. And I do think that there is a struggle of understanding how best to do that. Um, there's That's not 100% clear. So, well, especially with like the it's the ball still up in the air when it comes to like government regulation and stuff. We don't actually know what's going to happen with that in the near future. Um, which I, I, well, I'd be really interested in discussing that in a little bit. But Erica, like, how does that reflect your experience with like the CMOs you're talking to out there? Like, do you think like 
the the majority of CMOs I speak to as part of this the community, a part of this podcast, they they seem very bought in on AI. Do you think that there is still like a contingency out there of people who are resistant to really diving into it in a big way? I don't know if it's resistance or if it's more just in the grand scheme of things, right? Like the part, how do I prioritize this? How do I really get to understand this? Like what what does it actually mean to my organization or to my relationship with my agency or you know what I mean there has to be some so ever I think it's it's it, it became such an enormous topic and everyone's focused on it and then it's at the same time there's a lot of priorities for you know a lot for people to be focused on so I think where to prioritize it is maybe the bigger thing I don't see a lot of necessarily resistance I think the news is the, you know some the headlines can be a little bit misleading I mean we have a lot of uh, you know b2c clients and, and agencies are a big client of ours and and I think everyone at this point is wanting to understand how do they use it where does it apply I don't see as much of the panic of what does this you know am I going to lose half my team like but but if you look at the headlines I think it reads that way a little bit um so I think practically speaking it's more where does this fit into my priority how do I start to understand it not so much a resistance to it yeah I think like a lot of the the stories around AI causing like mass layoffs and stuff like a lot of that I think is tied into a trend that was already happening a lot of these companies like layoffs were happening with Facebook and Twitter before all the media started to talk about AI and now maybe it's just compounded that but anecdotally like I don't know anyone who's lost their job because of AI I'm sure there might be people out there like I don't want to diminish their stories and their perspectives but yeah it seems to be more just the layoffs that are happening in big companies in the tech industry they were going to be happening anyway, probably. It's just AI has maybe entered the news cycle and added that aspect to the conversation around these layoffs. I don't know what you yeah. guys think about that. I, I, th I think you're right. I think these, I don't think these layoffs are based on AI taking people's jobs. Um, and if you look at the growth in kind of employee base, especially on the tech companies through the pandemic, it was pretty significant. Um, and because there was, there was, they grew, you know, a lot of the other places contracted, you know, the tech, the tech world grew in that conversation because everyone was at home for a while and everyone, you know, how, how to, uh, engage with the world became very much about like what we're doing right now, you know, we're over zoom. And, um, so, so that to me is just what the kind of natural evolution was going to be now. Is some of that work being picked up through AI that some of those people were doing? Probably, but it's not because AI, my perspective is not because AI displaced those people. This was an economic decision that wasn't about, oh, I can do this cheaper through AI. It's about, we're gonna cut some costs based on kind of how fast we grew and where we are and the things we need to do for our business. Let's talk a bit more about sort of like the future and how that how things might impact kind of how businesses grow and businesses develop in the future. Um, so we, we touched a little bit on potential legislation, like at the time of recording, we still don't have much of an idea how that's going to work in either the US, the UK or the EU. Um, and they seem to be the big people that are really talking about it right now in terms of bringing regulation. Should companies be cautious about how they're using it in case there's legislation that comes in that says the way that you've started relying on it means that you have to completely scrap it and start again or should we 
be a bit more fearless with how we're approaching things. Brian, I can see you smiling. I bet you're thinking like everyone should just dive in and then apologize <laughs> later. But let, let's, let's, what do you think, Brian, on that? <laughs> well, well, listen, I, I think, you know, uh, the three things that a company should do, a rational company should do, one is risk, right? And you have to, you have to evaluate the risk to your business in, in that conversation. So, um, I, I, I think there's always risk. And I think that risk is, I think that risk is real. I think as you see on a day-to-day -day basis, more, more um, lawsuits coming for, from the standpoint of kind of IP and chat GPT or BART or whoever, I think there's some risk to what's going to happen there. Um, but I don't think that's going to diminish the value overall value of what's being creative. It, it may limit some of the inputs, to those generative AI, and I'm talking specifically about generative AI, because I think that's really where the legislation conversation is today. Mm -hmm. um, so, so okay, instead of a trillion and a half documents or a billion, you know, 15, 500 billion documents, it's 400 billion. I mean, data input matters, but you're still at such scale that the value you're gonna create from that is gonna be pretty massive. So my, my perspective is you can't wait. And if you, you have to be cognizant that there may be an impact, but if you wait, you don't know the impact of that. And, and the leaps forward for a business leveraging AI are so massive that if you miss that wave, you may not ever be able to catch it. And so that that's my perspective. And, and, and obviously part of my job is to make sure we're not putting ourselves at risk as a company. So, I mean, it's definitely a, a consideration we're not doing things that that I believe would be unethical, for instance. You know, ethical AI is really important. So how we leverage AI and what we do, ethical AI is a big component of that conversation. Um, but but I don't think you can wait. I think that wave is big and building. And if you miss it, I'm not sure how big the next wave is. And, you know, is it big enough to catch up to where you need to be? Definitely. So, Erica, that, that's Drill into a few more specifics from how you're approaching it in your your department. Like, how are you sort of balancing this, being able to explore the possibilities while also being aware of potentially these things that you're doing might not actually be possible in the near future because of regulation. Like, yeah, I think the most become, of the regulation. Oh, Erica, sorry. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think the most of the regulation, at least what what I've seen so far, is leaning towards like some some extent of guardrails right against certain things and and i do think when you think about humanity right like again like because it's really it it will impact humanity for the next like 20 years or more right this is as big as the internet this is as big as like these huge transformations that we've been through like the you know the what the changes that the internet had on society like the changes that social media has had on society like this is as big or bigger than that, right? So I think when you think about guardrails for humanity, that's where I think the legislation is largely focused. I think from a practical application perspective, I know one of the things that I'm always sensitive to is just brand and and you know IP and how do we protect our assets from that perspective. So I think that was one of the early sort of like I was waving the flag. <laughs> Should we really like, what are we putting in that, you know, are, are we putting in code? Are we putting in a, like anything that we're putting in our, our data, like that we might lose any type of domain over that would be, you know, what I think is, and that's something I think you do need to be conscientious about. You need to understand that. You do need to kind of dig in a little bit and understand what was happening. And you saw that some of the headlines, I think it was Samsung that, right? was like, okay, wait, we're not putting our code in here anymore because the code wasn't protected. But then just as quickly as that happened, right? protections were put in place 
through ChatGPT too. So it's a very quickly evolving like area. So, but you should have awareness about your IP. You want to be conscientious about the protection of your brand. Like those are fundamental things that I think you need to just think about as you approach it. Um, but I think the bigger legislation and that really needs to come in terms of like, how do we just generally protect humanity? <laughs> like that's what I'm, and, and that should be interesting to see how governments attempt to sort that out, considering, you know, how effective they've been with just other big tech companies and, and stuff. So, you know, that's a whole, that's a whole separate probably podcast if you want. Yeah, well, conversation. Not, not just dealing with tech companies, but dealing with other threats to humanity and civilization. Like how great have they been with that in recent times? But putting that aside, putting that aside, um, let's talk a bit more about the future and maybe how like the role of the CMO and marketing teams are going to change. Like, so let's, let's start with Let's start with the teams first, and then we'll go into um, into see into sort of like the CMO specific stuff. Like, what are going to be some of the key skills for people in marketing teams? Are there going to be certain roles that are going to be more important moving forwards? Is every marketing department going to require a prompt engineer, for example? Like, how do you see the composition of marketing teams changing in the near future? Um, Brian, let's start with you, and then Erica, let's get your thoughts on on Brian's perspective. Well, it, it, it's it's interesting, Will, because um, I, I think I might even mention this at some point in one of our conversations. But uh, a year ago, we didn't have a prompt engineer, and and now we have prompt engineers. Um, <clears throat> so so that that is in itself a a change is something new, um, because what what how you ask questions of generative models matters, and the iteration of those things matters, and and to build scale, you need to from a from a a company perspective from a capability perspective, you need to know how and what to ask and how to evolve that ask. So, um, you know, that, that's just a specific job, for instance, that, you know, cr it's creating a job, right? So that job didn't exist for us a year ago. Um, and I think that's going to be true in, in a lot of places, you know, from a marketing perspective, I think Eric is the best to say how it's going to evolve her team. Um, but, but I do think what we'll find is there's going to be, um, the ability to take data and not so much the analytics skills, but the execution skills that are associated with the, the results of that data and how to best apply those. Um, while I think AI will evolve to give us those answers too, um, I think there's still going to be the management of those things for a, a decent amount of time that the human beings are going to kind of make those decisions. Um, so, you know, that that's how I kind of see playing out from a marketing perspective. I don't know, Erica, what, what's your thoughts? Yeah, and, and, and I don't, I'm not trying to minimize it. in some ways. I feel like it's other, like any other technology that's come about that's changed the roles. Like, I mean, there was a time I'm old enough to remember a time when there weren't like marketing operations people, right? Like there wasn't, you know, always automation, like all the, all the things that we have in place, like it's roles emerge, right. And then skills expand and then, you know, it becomes part of what you do on a regular basis. So I, I agree, like for a point in time, you're going to have to have, you know, maybe it's a prompt engineer, but eventually everyone's going to be able to learn how to do it, right? Everyone's going to need to understand how does it apply to them. I, you know, I gave you an example, a content example, a creative example, an operations example. There's, you know, for all the data reporting we're doing, there are tools that we can use. Even simple, even simple um, summaries of a content directory, right? And, and put organizing that. Those are all, everyone's going to need to be able to write prompts that help make their, you know, improve their function and make their job easier. So, 
it'll be something that's unique for a little while. It'll be something that then gets, you know, I think adapted and people make it as part of their job. I think the skills like Brian was saying that are really going to be important are still the analytics and analytical skills, the strategic, being able to understand what you are learning, right? Now that I've, I have the summary, what do I do with it? How do I apply it? Does this recommendation make sense? you know, given reality, right? Like, I think those are the types of, you know, functions that people will still still be doing. I think it will take off some of the time consuming exercises. It will give us more time to do more of the work that is the meaningful advancement work, as opposed to, you know, the, the grinding work that you have to do to get to that point. And so, at least in the short term, I think that's going to be a, a really big benefit, but people will have to evolve and learn new skills and that there'll be new skills that you add to your resume in terms of, you know, the skills that you bring, just like it could have been, you know, doing leveraging other technology. Um, so that's, I think that's, that's how I see it kind of evolving. Definitely. Definitely. Um, one thing that I do want to discuss is maybe sort of like how it's, we're, we're talking very much from the perspective of people who've been doing marketing for a while, we're established, we've like to think we can do our jobs pretty well. And we've talked a bit about how we still need that human input to be able to recognize what's good coming from generative AI, what's bad, what needs to be changed, that kind of thing. What happens with a new generation of marketers coming in, a new generation of graduates who are being told that they just need to use AI for that, where they don't have maybe the practice, the hands-on practice with what makes for example good copy like i i learned to write copy by sitting down and write a buckload of tweets in one day and that's busy work that could easily be done by ChatGPT. but it taught me a lot about ctas about putting value first like all core principles of copywriting if that kind of stuff is taken up by ai how do we go about training the next generation of marketers to be able to recognize the, the human things that they can bring to AI generated stuff like that? I mean, I think it's an interesting question. Um, it still speaks to which of the tweets performed, you know what I mean? It still gives you, like, there's still an answer of like, if even if you wrote them all, you would want to look at the data and say, well, which one of them got the most interaction and which generated the most interest. And it's, you know, it's like, they're sort of trained in that anyway. I mean, I personally have two teenagers that are very astute in terms of which posts, you know, they create that, and that generates the most um, engagement and, and what those numbers are. So I think, you know, you're still, you're still learning from what is, what, you know, what's performing at the end of the day. But I, I, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about just the, in general, there's a practical learning of things that, you know, certain the next generation doesn't have, right? I mean, I think just having being of a generation that was a time before the iPhone, right? There's a difficult, a different set of practical learning that I have experienced because I knew what it was like before and after, right? And so I think there's an it's something that I'd have to think about more and explore if you if you're coming through university and you know you're getting your college degree and you have never, you know, do you not have to learn anything because you can just ask Google. I mean, that, you know, you can ask ChatGPT. You don't actually have to learn anymore. Like that, I think that's the a more fundamental that applies to everything, not just marketing. Like, I mean, I, you think about it now, it's like no one needs to really understand maps 
right? You're just like, I'll just get directions. Like, but there is an importance of understanding a map. There's an importance, you know, that you may not realize like a practical application of where is North. <laughs> it's a good thing to know. Um, so I think it's the same. Like, what would you learn? What are you, what are you going to learn in, in, in university right now? Like I think about what, what they're learning. I'm very interested in, and I'm like, you know, you should definitely be doing data analytics. Like if you're not, if, if Mark, if your marketing degree doesn't come with a lot of, you know, analytics studies, like I think that you're, you're going to be missing out. Um, so, you know, is you're going to have other skills you're picking up, but I think the bigger question is just for everything we learn, like, is there not a value to learn anymore? Like, because you can always get the answer like that. I think that's a bigger thing to ponder again. Maybe that's a podcast. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It's, it's, it's an it's, interesting question. It's maybe a bigger question than one we're capable of answering on this podcast, at least. I, I think, I think yeah. I, we're going to have to do some extended studies. I, I, also on this think, I also think we're thinking about the way things are this at this moment. And, and I do think that we're at the earlier, in my view, we're in the very early, early stages around, especially LLM and generative AI and, and what's possible and what, what's going to happen. Things are going to get, things are going to improve. And, you know, just listening to this conversation around as the CEO, not a marketer, right. But being around marketing, having responsible for marketing for a long time in a number of different companies, the conversation around you better have an analytics background was not a conversation that I heard a lot from marketing 30 years ago. Um, so things have already evolved significantly and, you know, how to write a good post may not be the most valuable thing. And, and I understand that there's a learning associated with that, but I think that's going to be very much data and results driven and the, and the, and the, I hate to say it, but some of the creative will be less relevant. I think it's become less relevant. It's important, but you know, there they, you know, the marketing operations conversation, like that wasn't a thing. Like, do you didn't? And yet, you know, with without it, candidly, I think you would say, Erica, we there's no way we could perform the way we perform today yeah. on the marketing efforts we have because it really is the engine that understands what to do next and, and what's most important and what's working. And um, so I, I think there's just a lot of evolution. I think it's exciting. I think, you know, that evolution drives some concern for people because change is, is well, my perspective is change is constant. It's the only constant. And so it's about adapting and embracing change. And if you do that, you'll be really successful. And if you if you hold on to kind of what is, there is nothing stable. Um, there's nothing that is just not moving. So um, so you know you're, you you pose a great question, Will. I I wouldn't be able to answer that question. Like what what are they going to do if they're not learning? But I do think things are moving very quickly and changing very quickly. Definitely, definitely. I mean. It is all hypothetical at this point, talking about that kind of stuff. But that's just something that's been the back of my mind. Um, but I think that's that's pretty much a great note to end on there, Brian. That's a good, I think that's a great message to end on. But let's let's try and wrap things up with maybe, Erica, what do you think are some of the core skills that CMOs need to be focusing on to make themselves resilient in these big changes that are coming forwards? Like, they don't necessarily need to become experts at prompt engineering and stuff, because you're a CMO, you can hire people to do that. But what should be sort of the ways of thinking, the different kinds of like ways of approaching AI and marketing that need to be sort of at the forefront of their minds? 
I do think it's important to understand it. I don't, you know, I think one of the, I mean, I think you're, it makes you a strong CMO if you actually have a good understanding of how things work. And I think because it's so transformative, you really do want to understand where the potential is for your organization. So, you know, be, become a student of it for sure. Understand, you know, what, how, how it works and the fundamentals and what, so you can find the potential opportunities to apply it to your organization is really important. And I think it comes with embracing it just like we had to embrace other technology. Like there, you know, there were, like Brian said, there's a time when, the entire MarTech staff, no one even had a MarTech stack. Nobody worried about MarTech. Like we, even in a company our size, we probably have, you know, 30 or so different pieces of technology that we're using. We had to understand what was important, right? Like you don't understand how to, you don't necessarily use and program every piece of it, but knowing what pieces you need and knowing where there's potential and understanding what's emerging so that it, you can apply it to your organization to make your organization better, right? To increase your performance is going to be really critical. So I would say you have to lean in like you would with anything else. You, you know, see, a hundred percent a CMO needs to be a, a technologist, and a CMO needs to be an analyst. Like you need to understand your data, and you need to understand you know the technology that and, and the technology is what gets you there half the time. So I think those are just don't be don't be afraid just embrace it you know and see it because it has massive potential to improve the quality of what you're you know what you're producing and what your team's capable of doing so i think that's the the number one recommendation from my perspective i think it's a great recommendation right there thank you very much eric and brian i've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation i think we've covered a lot of ground here but like a lot of ground in a really good way so thank you very much for joining me today thanks will my pleasure thanks will and I want to thank our audience as well. Like AI, it's one of those big topics right now. We've talked about it a few times in the show, but I think this has been a really, really interesting perspective on it uh, for getting a, their CEO's perspective, also seeing how that matches up with their CMO as well. So thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, we'll be back soon with some more CMO combos. Like what you heard in this CMO combo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was.